The people of God have always been known as the people of the book. We have a great display down here of Bibles. And our children have received their Bibles. So let us turn now to the book of James in the New Testament. Reading from the third chapter, the 13th verse, and into the fourth chapter. Listen now for God's word for you. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there's envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? And so, dear God, we come before you and ask that you would speak to us as you have spoken to people throughout the ages, and throughout the generations, open our hearts and our ears that we might hear your word and be not hearers only but doers as well. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So St. James wants us to know there are two kinds of wisdom. There is a wisdom from above and there's a wisdom from below. I think we all accept a certain kind of conventional wisdom about what makes for quality living, but sometimes that conventional wisdom has a way of disappointing you. Novelist Evan Shelby Connell Jr. created the character of Mr. Bridge. Perhaps you saw the film or the, the movie uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. Walter Bridge emerges as a good man. He's a prominent and a respected lawyer with a downtown office. He lives a comfortable existence in Kansas City with his wife and three children. Mr. Bridge seems to be a satisfied person, but you take a closer look at his life in the novel and you notice two things. First, he loves his family more than anything else. And yes, 
he has a little trouble showing them his love, but he really does love them. He would really like them to know about that love. And then you notice a second thing about Mr. Bridge. His attitude towards order and discipline in life. You see, conventional wisdom tells Mr. Bridge that if he can just keep order, things will work out. So Mr. Bridge feels that he and everybody else should work at keeping the conventional rules and standards because keeping those standards makes Mr. Bridge a good man. It's the way Mr. Bridge shows his love by keeping things under control. So Mr. Bridge must make it clear to his daughter Carolyn who wants to move into an apartment in New York City how a young woman should behave in a city with wild temptations and slippery morals. So Mr. Bridge makes it clear to Carolyn that if the man she intends to marry is not up to her standards, then she better stop seeing him. Keeping up those conventional standards by which life seems to work helps Mr. Bridge see that when his growing son needs to make a shift from being a playful, mischievous boy into a man of responsibility like himself. After all, the whole order and safety of society, the way we live together, depends upon everyone obeying the rules of conventional wisdom. Mr. Bridge feels sure about this, and it's the way he loves his family, but there's a problem with it all. The conventional wisdom on how to live doesn't always fit real-life situations because the world can be such a peculiar kind of place. Sometimes all the energy and creativity that Mr. Bridge can muster to live up to this conventional wisdom is simply not enough. Life demands more from him. His family life, his law practice, his relationships with friends and associates, clients, all become increasingly complicated year after year. And Mr. Bridge finds that conventional wisdom brings him little real joy or little real happiness and little real love. His family has become joyless and distant from their husband and father. Mr. Bridge lives surrounded by people living their lives, some of them well, some of them not so well. But he feels distant from them all by his own structured universe. And Mr. Bridge feels lonely. Real love just isn't happening where he's living. The family he loves doesn't really believe that he loves them. And conventional wisdom has let him down. Now that brings me to this text in St. James. 
There is a wisdom from above and a wisdom from below. A conventional kind of wisdom that somehow begins to tell us that the way you put your life together, the way you become a success in the world is to harness envy and selfish ambition and ride those horses to fame and fortune and success. And you know where I see it most of all? It's the way we raise our kids. I know some of our families who have third graders who've just received their Bibles are already thinking about how to position them for that college application. Where are they going to go to college? I know parents, because my wife works in this field, college admission. They just can't understand why their kids don't get it. Why they resist being reduced to a grade point average or an SAT score. They just have to learn that their class rank determines everything. Life operates by certain rules, according to a certain order. And the sooner they learn this conventional wisdom, the better. But see, here's the problem. Even those of us who have bought into that kind of wisdom, knows, we know that it lets us down. There's no peace, there's no real satisfaction there in life because life has this uncontrollable element to it. And you have to somehow come to terms with the fact that you can't control it all. And if you don't, it leads to a life of a kind of quiet desperation. Instead of that kind of wisdom from above that leads to a joyful and a productive, remarkably productive life and a loving life despite the fact we can't control it. I sometimes think, of, you know, we ask our kids all the time, what do you want to do when you grow up? I, I think maybe it's the wrong question. I mean, there's a time for that. But why aren't we asking our children, what kind of person do you want to be when you grow up? St. James seems to say, you feel pulled in a thousand different directions because of the cravings that are at war within you. And conventional wisdom isn't going to help you there. A life spent pursuing pleasures will leave you disappointed. It will leave you disillusioned without joy and with little love. But there's an alternative. I've got a good friend of mine, a Lutheran pastor, who likes to remind me that disillusionment is not a bad thing. If you're living by some illusion it's better that you become disillusioned quickly. And the Bible is full of stories of people 
who first became disillusioned by the conventional wisdom in order to be open to a different way of thinking about life, a different way of approaching the life God has given us. The life of faith is not one of simply trying to keep order on things we can't control. It's living into a different reality in which God is in control. Let me illustrate it this way, and this is, this is an illustration that comes to me from years ago from a friend of mine, Art Soltz, and it stayed with me for decades, and I hope it helps you. Mr. Bridge makes me think of another young man named A2. A2 lived in Flatland, a land with only two dimensions. In Flatland, you had simply height and breadth. It was a world of flat ideas. It was brilliant in every other way, but it had no depth. It was very academic. So people lived flat lives, they thought flat thoughts, they had flat jobs, and they drank flat beer. If you met somebody in Flatland who was walking towards you, you could see them fine enough, but if they turned sideways quickly, you'd miss them entirely. Anyway, A2 worked as a professor of mathematics at the University of Flatland. He taught flat math. A2 was married. He had a rather precocious son named Pentagon. So one weekend, A2 invited some of his distinguished friends over for a flat party. And Pentagon left the party a little early and went upstairs to bed and fell asleep. But he'd eaten a lot of party food that night, and he dreamed a dream unlike any he'd ever dreamed before in his life. In this dream, everything looked as though it had an added dimension to it. Everything had not only height and breadth, it also had depth. And everybody looked different in his dream, especially girls. <laughs> the music sounded different. It was awesome. So Pentagon awoke filled with excitement about his dream, and he went dashing downstairs into the distinguished company of his father and friends and he blurted out his dream to all these flat-living, flat-thinking people. Well, you can imagine what happened when such an intrusion came into a flat little party. A2 couldn't keep the boy quiet. Everybody thought he'd lost touch with reality, lost his grip. The party broke up, and they finally got Pentagon back to bed. But in the days that followed, Pentagon kept talking about what he'd seen in his dream, this added dimension of depth. Well, to cut the story short, he finally was locked up for his own sanity and the sanity of the community. He was disrupting the conventional wisdom and the order of things. 
But when I read the Bible, I see all kinds of people who are talking about something like that. Some see it. Some don't. Some live by the conventional wisdom of others, but some have this kind of wisdom that comes from somewhere else, somewhere above. And it adds a dimension to life that brings color and texture and depth to their living and to their loving. Many years ago, a theologian named Martin Buber sat one evening answering all sorts of questions, grandiose theological questions. The audience was enthralled with Buber's answers, but he couldn't take it anymore. And finally, he blurted out, why don't we ask ourselves the kinds of questions that come to us at three in the morning when we're tossing in our beds. See, novelists, the entertainment industry, they're better at dealing with those kinds of questions than the church sometimes is. We all have to make choices and make decisions about how we're going to act in the world how we're going to enact what we believe about life. Do we really believe there's another dimension to this life, a higher wisdom that cuts across, across the grain? Do we really believe it's better to give than to receive? Do we really believe that it's in forgiving that we're forgiven? Do we really believe that we ought to treat others as we would want them to treat us? See, I think there's this new kind of dimension. And maybe if we're a little disillusioned this morning with the conventional wisdom, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it will lead us to turn to the author of life itself and to seek a wisdom that comes from above about how to live. I've been reading a book recently entitled Integrity, The Courage to Meet the Demands of Reality by Dr. Henry Cloud. He is a consultant with leaders in, corporate, in the corporate world. Using a definition from the Oxford Dictionary, he describes integrity this way, the state of being whole and undivided, the condition of being unified, unimpaired, or sound in construction, having structural integrity. You can imagine in the shipping industry what this means. A boat or a ship that has integrity is watertight. It's sound. The concept means that the whole being is working well, undivided, integrated, intact, uncorrupted. Now, if you're at all like me, 
you may be feeling your life lacks a certain kind of integrity because you're taking water somewhere. Somehow life by the conventional wisdom of the world just seems to lack integrity. We live with divided loyalties at war within ourselves. And St. James wants to say there is a way out. And it's the way up. It's the way up. Draw near to the Lord. And the Lord will draw near to you. Thanks be to God. Amen.